Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Hey, Jeff. Greetings from whatever the hell season this is, because it doesn't feel like the one we were supposed to have. But let's not get hung up on that today. Not today. On today's show, we discuss two great Mets pitchers. One is Matt Harvey. The other is Diego Vasquez. You'll see what I mean. But first, on Sunday, Greg, you made your first trip to City Field of the season. Other than the game itself, how did it go? Well, you know, I was talking to Mary Todd Lincoln about how much <laughs> he enjoyed the show. Yeah, that was the game that the Mets scored three in the first and put six runs up on the board. And at the time, they hadn't been scoring very much. And that seemed like a positive trend. And if you completely forget what happened in the innings where the Rockies batted, and for that matter, forget what happened <laughs> the way the first inning ended for the Mets, I had a great time. Uh, I want to thank the nice fellows who invited me, a friend of mine named Gary, and he has a friend named Tim, who is part of a larger outing, and there's also another guy named Larry who is involved, and I will also shout out a woman named Jennifer, who didn't want to go to the game, <laughs> so that's how I got uh, the seat that would have uh, been hers, and I was happy to take it. A uh, beautiful day at City Field, my first day there in 2023, I was thinking that Thanks to the Fan Fest of 2020, I have now been inside the Mets ballpark, Shea Stadium plus City Field, every single year now for 51 years. I was going to get to City Field sooner or later this year. It was nice to have it come up uh, relatively soon. I'm sort of allergic to sitting outside in April at this point. City Field looks a lot like City Field, except there's an enormous scoreboard in center field, which I guess isn't news. You're braced for it at this point. You've seen enough pictures of it. Still pretty big. They needed it because 19 runs were scored that day, and you can't have a puny little scoreboard at that point. New graphics, things like that around the ballpark. You know, those ribbon boards are sort of oppressive with one ad becomes a million ads. There was one, of course, for Mets uniform sponsor, New York Presbyterian Hospital, except for uh, one spot where, for some strange reason, it said New York Presbyterian was missing an A. Maybe it was surgically removed by the great doctors at New York Presbyterian, but none of that really mattered on the big scoreboard. Just a great place to be. I'm, I'm afraid I don't have much deeper insights than the fact that you really can't beat going to a ball game on a nice day. I got a nice day on Sunday. Got a 13-6 to 6 loss. As I wrote about on Faith and Fear and Flushing, the Mets have lost home games 13-6 to 6 four times in their history. And I have had the good fortune of being at two of those games. The last two. One in 1982, a 13-6 to 6 loss to the Cubs in August. And this one to the Rockies. And in both cases, the Mets had made nice offensive noise and were poised, you thought, to win. And then there was like one horribly enormous inning. The last time there was like this biker guy threatening a couple of businessmen because they were kind of drunk and laughing at the Mets. And this guy basically uh, told them to go and move to Chicago if they didn't like it in, in very forceful words, not safe for work, as they say. Everybody was in a good mood other than the Mets not winning on Sunday. And it was a, a very family intensive event that I was at on the party deck, no bad language. I will say that my player of the game that day was Brandon Nimmo, because you should see between innings how careful Brandon Nimmo is to pick out 
children in the stands to toss a ball to because everybody is waving their arms when they're sitting on the party deck and it doesn't matter how old you are or how much dignity you brought to the ballpark they don't let you bring your dignity to the ballpark they check that at the gate and everybody's waving brandon has seen enough from his vantage point in center field to know that uh, not everybody is an adorable eight-year-old and uh, he seeks out the adorable eight-year-olds or you know just the tolerable eight-year-olds i suppose and he very carefully tosses a ball up between innings into the stands. Jerickson Profar out in right field, I noticed, did the same. So uh, we'll, we'll say that for a Colorado Rocky, former San Diego Padre, who annoyed us last October. Good to get back to the ballpark. Not good to experience a loss. But, you know, what they say, you accept your invitation. <laughs> you take your chances. And I was very happy to have been invited and to have gone. And 0-1 will hopefully become one and one at some point in the near future. On Tuesday night in Detroit, I wasn't the only Mets fan to sift through the rain out. After the game was called, Nimmo came out and took pictures with Mets fans who lined up to greet him. That was very classy. Did you have any problems at the gate with the water bottle? Because this was a party deck ticket, I got to enter through the Stengel gate, much shorter line than everywhere else. Sometimes that's not the case even with the so-called VIP gates, as they used to be called. And I had a small bottle of water, really small, and it had been opened and I was willing to sacrifice it. I did not bring additional beverages with me as I often do because I figured and figured correctly that beverages would be included on the party deck. Well, the person checking my bag not only was very nice and didn't give me any hassle, didn't even question the water bottle that was open. So sailed right in. I don't know that that indicates any kind of a change in policy. It could just very well that be because I was at a so-called special entrance. They left me alone. So yeah, the water bottle is uh, is one and zero on the year. Better than I'm doing. I thought of your past skirmishes about the water bottle when I went to Detroit last week. And for the night game on Wednesday, I had in my hand a bottle of water not a problem, and a snack. And as I approached security, a security guard walked over to me and said, you can't bring the snack into the ballpark. It's not allowed. And as I started to look around for a trash can, she said, just put it in your jacket pocket and zip it up. And they didn't give me a hard time as you've had in the past. Just so you know that City Field isn't completely reasonable, I did notice, I mean, notice I was right there, Game's over. I go up. I avail myself of the men's room, as one will, after three beverages. And then I'm going to take the kind of the longish way. Anyway, from center field is going to be the long way to the rotunda. But I realized I did not stick my head into the museum on the way in because I came in a different way. I wanted to take a quick look at what was new this year. Didn't have a pressing train situation. Figured I had a couple of minutes. I go to cross Shea Bridge and they do something. And I hadn't experienced in a while, maybe because I haven't sat out there in a while. They rush you through Shea Bridge, across Shea Bridge, because they're ready to put a gate on both ends of it. So okay, go, hurry up, folks, because we're going to close this. And I'm thinking, why are they closing off a main thoroughfare within the ballpark? And they want you to leave the in the other direction. So if I wanted to go see the rotunda, I would have to walk all the way back around the third base side, or I would just give up and exit by the bullpen gate and i still don't they used to do that i mean maybe they've done it every single game but i just haven't been out there lately and i'm thinking what exactly is the point i know you, you don't want people slipping on uh, on shea bridge 
and you want to clean it up, but what is the rush exactly? This was the end of a homestand, a brief homestand. Uh, I don't know if there was something going on that night at City Field, but that seems strange. It was one of the many times I, I find myself thinking these last couple of years, I wonder if Steve Cohn knows about this. So if Steve Cohn knew about it, again, we, we invest all kinds of magical powers in our benevolent club owner. He would put an end to this. Maybe put an end to the water bottle thing. Maybe somebody stopped Steve or Alex Cohn or somebody in his family at the gate with an open water bottle. And maybe that's how I managed to get mine in. Or maybe now that I'm broadcasting the fact that I got my water bottle in, they're going to clamp down even further. But why do you stop people from walking through? Not not to nobody's trying to get into a club or get on the field, just to walk out a particular way toward an exit. Ultimately, uh, that was very confusing to me. But uh, you can't have everything. What I, what I do came away wondering also is one of the guys I was with showed me a picture which I have since shared on the blog of a coupon from strawberry sunday if you remember strawberry sunday or even if you don't 1983 we just passed the 40th anniversary of daryl strawberry's promotion to the big leagues he went on to win the rookie of the year in 1983 so to celebrate in 1984 the mets with their then marketing and ice cream partner carvel hosted strawberry sunday they presented daryl with his rookie of the year trophy and they gave out coupons that you had to take to the carvel stand guy I was with at the game thought, well, maybe the coupon, because he never redeemed it, because he just stuck it in his program, forgot about it, found it years later. He wondered if the Mets Hall of Fame would want to put it on display. And I'm looking at it, and it says, Strawberry Sunday, in honor of Mets outfielder and 1983 Rookie of the Year, Daryl Strawberry, this coupon is good for one Carvel Strawberry Ice Cream Sunday, when redeemed at the appropriate station, must be exchanged before 3 p.m. Not the sixth inning, but 3 p.m. Because they, <laughs> they don't want to give you nothing at, at 3.30, a game that probably started at 1.40 in those days. So I'm wondering that his, his gracious offer to share with all of Mets fans this coupon, have it under glass and on display. So why don't you bring it next time? Bring it to the Mr. Softy stand. I know it's not the same brand, but you know, sometimes there's a problem on the LIR and the MTA says, well, we'll honor Metro cards or we'll honor your LIR ticket on the subway. Maybe there is some sort of diplomatic agreement between Mr. Softy and Carvel, even though it's been 39 years and it may very well be after three o'clock. Maybe somebody will give you a free Sunday. The chances of that were about as good as the chances of Joey Lucchese going more than three innings that day, I suppose. But we can always dream. But, uh, you know, the same spirit that uh, infected Shea Stadium or inhabited Shea Stadium, to be kinder about it, that said, uh, so, you know, you got to get out of here. It's 3.05. You can't have no Sunday. I think somehow lives on in the you can't walk across the bridge. The game's over. Some things are tradition. Let's put it that way. But Strawberry Sunday, uh, may it live on uh, after three o'clock in everybody's heart. Matt Harvey lives on in our heart. Matt Harvey retired last week at the age of 34. Look at the numbers from 2013. His war was 6.9. Then he was injured. 2015, 4.0. But the after effects of his injury lingered. And by 2018, he was gone from the Mets. In 2013, Mets fans chanted, Harvey's better. When talking about Steven Strasburg, Harvey's better. 
Harvey starts were special. There was a period when Greg and I were emailing, and this sounds silly, but you remember the Geico camel and he would go, it's hump day, it's hump day. And Greg and I wrote out commercials for the Mets. It's Harvey day. It's Harvey day. It seems silly, but Matt Harvey was special and it made grown men do silly things. We wish Matt Harvey all the best. Those were the Harvey days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. Who thought about an end? He was at the beginning of his career. Matt Harvey comes up in July of 2012. The Mets are rapidly descending through the floor of the pennant race. They've gotten off to a pretty good start that year. And then right out of the All-Star break, uh, they went to hell. And there was no reason to hold back on calling up their first draft pick from 2012. We saw in an instant, right, we were excited to see Matt Harvey. He struck out, I believe, 11 in his Major League debut. And although he didn't necessarily win every game he started because, hey, Met Aces, do they ever win every game they start, even when they pitch well? He was off to a great start in 2012. And that just whetted the appetites for 2013. And yeah, 2013, that's the Harvey year of Harvey days, right from the very first one, very early April, back when I used to go to City Field in, in the freezing nights and days of April. I remember it was about 44 degrees and Matt Harvey made you forget about that every half inning he pitched against the Padres. And that lasted right to the end of August, right through the All-Star break. An All-Star game that was at City Field started by Matt Harvey. It sounds like something from Jerry Maguire where he's promising, you know, Rod Tidwell all the things he's going to have him doing under if he represents him. And like, I will have you starring in New York, pitching in an All-Star game at City Field in a game where you are the focus of attention. It really was. Home field advantage notwithstanding, they gave Matt Harvey the start in the All-Star game. And you couldn't argue with it. You couldn't argue with what you were seeing that whole first half, especially in April, especially the Harvey's better night that I was in the ballpark for. I was fortunate to have seen most of his starts, home starts that year. And the Harvey's better thing remains something of a mystery to me. I don't know how it started exactly. I'm cynical enough now to wonder if somebody was paid to get it started, but there was nothing on the scoreboard. There was nobody holding up a sign. There were no banners. The seven-line army wasn't involved. It was just something organic that, yes, Steven Strasburg up to that point had been the avatar of great young pitching in the division and in the league. Not that the Washington Nationals were with this blood arrival of ours or anything at the time. It was almost our way of rising up and saying, hey, we've got something too. We've got somebody too. And he was on fire that night, on fire every time he started in April and May and into June. I guess the, the most famous game of that period was the the Bloody Nose game, which I had tickets for and for reasons I don't want to get into, couldn't go. But I watched Matt Harvey almost pitch a perfect game that night on TV. And they ended up with a one-hitter combined between Harvey for nine innings, Bobby Parnell for one, no walks, one nothing win, I guess it was, against the White Sox. So many memories, so many great outings. Matt Harvey appearing on the cover of Sports Illustrated, perhaps the last time that really mattered. The idea of a Met pitcher making the cover of Sports Illustrated for pitching, that was where he was dubbed the Dark Knight of Gotham. That was Tom Verducci's handiwork, and it stuck. But maybe Harvey uh, embraced it, like a lot of things uh, connected to his fame, a little too hard. But why not? We were behind the dark night and we were behind Matt Harvey as he took the mound at the All-Star game. And he continues on into the second half, gets his first shutout of his career. 
wasn't his rookie season by then, but it was his first full season. Early August, you would not have guessed it would be the only shutout of his career. And because a few starts later, and this this was the last one of that year, he's facing Max Scherzer, foreshadowing, irony of irony, whatever you want to call it. They both started in the All-Star game in the same ballpark. And again, I, I was there for, for this regular season matchup. That never happened before, thanks interleague play. And Scherzer is basically scattering Mets hits not too many of them. And Harvey is struggling. It's clear to me, even from Promenade, Harvey is struggling, but he's getting out of innings. And, and you're taking heart in that because Matt Harvey is growing as a pitcher every start. You've decided what you don't know is the reason he's struggling is because the elbow is bothering him. And next thing you know, a few days later, we're told he's going on the IL. He's going to need Tommy John surgery. And that's where the drama, in essence, began, uh, where Matt Harvey had been nothing but unfettered joy for us in 2013 joy for Mets fans hope for Mets fans and everything after that including the really good 2015 was never quite the same in 2015 game five he pitched eight brilliant innings and he wanted the ball in the ninth he wanted the ball and to this day Mets fans talk about that because Terry said okay the Mets lost the lead that inning and lost the game and the series was over and people said Matt Harvey was selfish. That wasn't Harvey's decision to make. You want your stars to want the ball in the big situations. Harvey wanted the ball. It was Terry Collins' decision, right or wrong. I find no fault with Matt Harvey for that. Yeah, Matt Harvey was definitely pumped up, uh, to put it mildly, after eight innings. 2015 was a this is such such a, a lame adjective, so I apologize for it in advance. It was a funny year where Matt Harvey was concerned because we were very focused on him coming back. It was a huge deal that he was not around in 2014. I mean, we, we went from this is the next Tom Seaver and or Dwight Gooden to absent because of the rehabilitation from surgery. If you remember, he kind of put off the surgery a little bit, saying, I don't know, maybe I just need to rest it a little bit, because I don't think he wanted to admit to himself that he was hurt. Uh, there was a whole thing in 2014 about, will he rehab in Port St. Lucie, where every Met with an injury is sent, and and you're just kind of lost for the year, and people forget about you, and I am told that it is not the most fun place to be in the middle of summer. Or could he come to New York and stay in New York and be a New Yorker, which is, you know, he was from Connecticut. This is where he wanted to be, and maybe this is where he wanted to soak in a little of that glamour and not be forgotten. So, like, everything with Matt Harvey was a big deal. Remember, he when he came back in 2015, ESPN put together a documentary about Matt Harvey. I went to a press screening of it. It was an E60 thing. Jeremy Schapp was there. Harvey himself wasn't there. He was down in Florida. It was near the end of spring training. But his entire family showed up for the world premiere of this thing. And we were really stoked to have him back. His first game in Washington, that first series of the year after Cologne had started game one and DeGrom had started game two. They bring Harvey back and it almost looked like nothing had changed. And most of that year, it almost looked like nothing had changed. It wasn't quite as fluid. It wasn't quite as unfettered, but Matt Harvey was one of your aces. You know, DeGrom made the All-Star team that year. Syndergaard came up. Steven Matt suddenly shows up. Zach Wheeler, unfortunately, was having his own injury problems that year. But everything we dreamed of as Mets fans and pitching was coming to fruition. And then, of course, you know, Flores hits a home run, Cespedes arrives, and it becomes a whole other season, a wonderful season. And we get to September, 
And suddenly his agent, Scott Boris, is talking about Matt Harvey maybe not pitching in the postseason because he's about to reach an innings limit that they had talked about coming into the season, which I think we'd all kind of forgotten about at that point. We'd all kind of forgotten that he had Tommy John surgery because he was so effective. And Harvey was kind of back and forth on whether he was going to pitch in October, which was absurd to us because this was what we were waiting for. It had been nine years since the postseason. And Matt Harvey was, if not our ace, our co-ace. How could you go to the postseason without him? You know, then he kind of says, never mind. And he pitches. He pitches the division clincher. Let's not forget that. He kind of disappeared for one day or at least a morning. He didn't show up for a a workout before the Dodgers series, the LDS. And there was a little bit of a kerfuffle, but uh, he showed up. Terry Collins, at least publicly, said, never mind. He pitches the third game of that series. Has a little trouble, but he gets past the Mets score a lot. He goes five innings. He's terrific. It's the first home playoff game in City Field history. It was a fantastic night. And he starts game one against the Cubs after we win in five against the Dodgers. And he's fantastic. And they sweep the Cubs. And yet we get to the World Series. Game one doesn't go that great in Kansas City. Not just Harvey, but everybody. But yeah, this brings us back to game five, down three games to one. A bit of a replica of what we experienced in 2000 in that not only were we down 3-1 in that World Series, but you couldn't take Al Leiter out in the ninth inning the way he was going. And he was left in and got, I think, unlucky. Bad call by the ump. 38 hopper by Louis Soho. Never mind that. Harvey, eight innings, shutout ball, like you said, maybe faltering ever so slightly going to the ninth inning. I would not have had a problem had the whole thing gone down as Colin saying, okay, Matt, thanks a lot. We're going to get Jay Reese in there. And if Harvey had just said, all right, I would have been okay with that. But in my heart of hearts, I wanted Matt Harvey out there. And you wanted Matt Harvey out there. And we all, even if we were being analytical about it, wanted Matt Harvey out there. And if Terry Collins didn't have the strongest constitution to stick to whatever his guns were, well, I can understand that too. The uh, the top of the nine didn't go that great. Harvey got two batters, double and a walk, I believe. Uh, now the runners are on base and Familia comes in and we know what happened. And after that, wasn't the last we saw of Matt Harvey in a Mets uniform. It kind of was the last of the dark night. Harvey returns to City Field for the last time in 2021 as a member of the Baltimore Orioles. And after the game, he said, I was worried that they were going to boo me. I couldn't even conceive of that. Could you? No, I don't think Harvey ever really got booed. I don't think the booing is what people sometimes throw it out there as a stereotype, impatient Mets fans in the City Field era, certainly. Even late in the Shea Stadium era, give or take a really horrible choke chop. I think we're all a little more civilized now. Listen, Harvey pitched 2016 until I believe that was the thoracic outlet diagnosis here. He was not good in 2016. I don't remember him being booed. You're coming off of 15 where he has the great comeback here from injury, and you're wondering, oh God, why, why is this happening? And uh, he ends up missing half a year. We don't realize that maybe he did throw too many innings the year before. Comes back in 17. He's worse. And he has, I think it was a scapula. I hope I'm not uh, screwing up the, the timeline here. He missed like the middle of the year, came back in September, was not good at all in September. It was really sad to watch. And I, I guess I should also point out that the off-the-field stuff began to raise a few more eyebrows. There was a, a morning in May of 2017. He was the uh, the expected starting pitcher, the, the announced starting pitcher. Adam Wilk was starting <laughs> because Matt Harvey didn't show up at the ballpark or, you know, phoned in sick when you, you're not supposed to be doing that. And 
apparently he was it wasn't just gee i don't feel well there was a problem with that so you, you kind of felt where this thing was going in 2018 new manager terry collins uh, is gone nikki calloway the pitching uh, guru is the new manager and before april is out they're they're putting matt harvey in the bullpen and as sad as the previous september had been to me that was even sadder because it was just we don't know what to do with him anymore ironically we finally got the five aces uh, which I, I say with, with a twinge of cynicism because it was never exactly five aces. But all those years we were talking about having all this young pitching all at the same time coming together, but somebody was always injured. And finally, at the beginning of the 2018 season, you had DeGrom and Syndergaard and Wheeler and Matt and Harvey. And Harvey had nothing left. And finally, they did the only decent thing. Uh, they traded him. DFA'd him and traded him for Devin Mezzarocco, who will be recalled as Jacob deGrom's catcher of preference during his first fantastic year, during which I think Jacob deGrom was sort of making us forget <laughs> to a certain degree about Matt Harvey. But it was, it was strange and sad watching Matt Harvey kind of bounce around. He was traded to the Reds. He went to the Angels. He had some troubles there that were documented. Pitched for the Royals, I believe. Signed with the A's. I don't know if he pitched with them in the majors. And yeah, like you said, wound up with the Orioles and wound up with, I don't know how you would pronounce it, but I remember spelling Harvey backwards and calling it Yvra Day at City Field because it was just the opposite of what it should have been. It was a small crowd because of COVID. They were just letting people back in the ballpark. And he didn't pitch well. He pitched okay for a couple of innings, and then the Mets beat him up. But like you said, the fans appreciated him and approved him. Uh, approved him. You know, of course they did. But, you know, it, you know, it's easy sometimes as fans, and I'm sure we do it ourselves, to just kind of turn your back on the immediate past because you're so busy trying to win a game in the, in the present. And that day, we knew we were winning. We were, I wasn't there that day, but I was certainly there spiritually. We wanted to welcome Matt Harvey back and have Harvey Day again, that feeling, and let him know that we do not have the memory of a tsetse fly or whatever it is that Ted Lasso, a goldfish, <laughs> whatever it is Ted Lasso preaches, have the memory of a goldfish. We had, we had one, a whale of a memory where Matt Harvey was concerned. 2021, you know, he, he always seemed poised to be picked up by a contender, you thought, like the Orioles weren't going anywhere. And I was thinking, not so much the Mets, but I thought somebody would look at him and I'm sure they scouted him. But you know what? He was not an effective pitcher anymore. He was never an effective pitcher again after 2015, after that night in the World Series. And that was it. He, uh, I believe he was still in the minors last year after he was suspended. Never made it back. Pitched for Italy in the World Baseball Classic this year. And I guess didn't get the nipples he was looking for from a major league outfit. And then he announces his retirement. And suddenly we're all 10 years older. <laughs> all 10 years beyond Harvey Day. Which, like a lot of things in this life, especially as baseball fans, seems like yesterday. Uh, it was 10 years of yesterdays ago. But it was quite a ride, wasn't it? You know, I think about him. I, I you know, as as I do, uh, m much as one uh, rubs the sleep out of their eyes, the first thing I seem to think of when anything happens is a quote from Bull Durham, and I use that on faith and fear. The idea of when Crash Davis telling Nukolush, you know, you could be one of those guys, and how Harvey was definitely one of those guys, the kind of pitcher who could throw all that great stuff and and get you out in the big leagues. You know who else I thought of? This might surprise you. Walter White, Breaking Bad, the, the end of Breaking Bad, where 
Skyler, his wife, who's had it up to here with him and, and his excuses for doing the things he did. No spoiler alert, folks. It's Breaking Bad. It's been off the air for years. Watch it if you haven't. Skyler thinks he's going to make the excuse that he became a drug lord for his family and got into all kinds of legal mishigas and danger and got somebody killed. All of that stuff. And what I thought of when Harvey retired was what Walter White said. I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was really alive. And you know what? I hope that's how Matt Harvey takes in his career, the ups and the downs, and even the parts where, oh no, he wasn't on time for practice in 2015. Whatever it was he got out of being an icon in New York, however brief it was, I hope it meant everything to him. And I hope it continues to mean everything to him. Just as his statement said, the fans meant everything to me. He meant everything to us. It's it's a silly thing. Grown men, like you said, Hump Day and Harvey Day and all of that. It's what you live for as a fan. Besides, you know, if you, if you live for the, you know, yeah, the World Series, all of that stuff. Getting to game five of the World Series and hopefully being up three games to one instead of being down three games to one. But you live for those moments when your team isn't that good, but suddenly you see somebody who's going to lead you in the other direction, or you think they're going to, and then they start to. That's what Harvey Day was about. That's what Matt Harvey was about. And I'm sorry, you know, 34, it's too soon. He's not dead. So let's not uh, not, not drape this thing in purple crepe, as they say. On the other hand, I know wish that after 2015, not that we would have accepted it in good humor. Almost wish he'd said, you know what, he would have walked off the mound after eight innings and just kept walking. <laughs> That's what we would remember was eight shutout innings. And uh, the only postscript would have been our imagination. So once again, long way of saying thank you, Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey said, to Mets fans, you are forever embedded in my heart. And I feel the same way. At the age of 34, a young man, maybe in a year or two, will hear, I had a niche that I needed to scratch, and he returns to the Long Island Ducks. Maybe there'll be a movie about him or another documentary. Perhaps it could be produced by friends of the pod, Nick Davis. But I don't know if we've heard the last of Matt Harvey. But now it's time to talk about free agent pitcher Diego Vasquez. Greg, he had a brilliant World Series. He holds the record for the most no-hitters in Major League Baseball history, surpassing Nolan Ryan's seven. Diego Vasquez froze in the seventh game of the World Series on the mound, and we don't know why. He's been linked to the Mets. Will the Mets, should the Mets, sign him as a free agent? The thing about Vasquez is he was pitching in the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series. He's had at least eight no-hitters we know of. He's a very good-looking man, by the way, from what I could tell. And I don't know how the Mets don't go after him. The only thing I think that could stop them, that maybe should stop them, is if he can't get good press. Because that's what you need from a dreamy pitcher who's thrown eight no-hitters, but won't tell anybody why he froze on the mound in the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series. I think we're the only podcast talking about this. Are we out of our minds, Greg? Diego Vasquez is fictional. And you thought Matt Harvey was too good to be true. The important thing here is that, A, the publicist is surrounded by Mets fans. Uh, she has an assistant, huge Mets fan, cares about her boss, but cares more about the Mets, I think. She says opposite. And she's got a driver really cares about the Mets because, you know, most of your publicists in New York have drivers and assistants and 
hang out with reporters who are just trying to drink their coffee. Okay, folks, here's what's going on. Jeff and I did not make up Diego Vasquez, but we observed the making up of Diego Vasquez, or at least the end result. We are talking about a movie that aired on the Hallmark Channel a couple of weeks ago called Hearts in the Game. And we wouldn't bother you with it, at least for an entire segment. We might allude to things. But uh, we were talking about Hearts in the Game because it was a Mets movie, a landmark moment, a landmark hallmark moment in Mets popular culture. You know, you listen to this show or you read Faith and Fear and Flushing, you know how important Mets pop culture is in our world. Uh, anytime you see a Mets cap or a Mets logo or any character mentions the Mets, we get excited. This entire movie was about the Mets. Not not fictional baseball team, not the Gotham Sluggers, the actual New York Mets trying to sign the pitcher, Diego Vasquez, who, yes, was credited with, quote, the most no-hitters in baseball history in this timeline. Perhaps Nolan Ryan doesn't exist. Something tells me the dialogue was written by AI, but we're not going to get into that just yet. But uh, this this is Diego Vasquez. He's up for grabs. He's on the open market. He froze in the World Series, but he's a great pitcher with all those no-hitters. And yes, the plot of this movie, Hearts in the Game, surrounds the idea that Diego Vasquez is going to sign with the Mets if only he can be convinced to talk to the press about whatever it was that compelled him to freeze on the mound in the ninth inning of the seventh game because now he is pitcher non grata, as they put it. And it's left to our heroine, Hazel Miller, the publicist, to convince him to talk to that reporter whose good side she's trying to get on that we mentioned. And I don't know how this is going to all wind up, Jeff, other than probably in love. If you think that we're spoiling the movie for you, you haven't seen a Hallmark movie because if you've seen one Hallmark movie, you know what's going to happen. And the fact that the Mets are involved in this movie doesn't change the basic structure of the Hallmark movie. This only difference is this one takes place in the spring. It does not take place at Christmas time. We mentioned Ted Lasso before. This season, Ted Lasso had to describe Hallmark movies to somebody in Britain. And this is what he said. Hallmark Christmas movies are films that feature women from the big city falling in love with their childhood crushes. They suck, but they're great. But they also mostly suck. But they're also kind of great. True. You know what's going to happen. It doesn't mean the movie is bad. It doesn't mean that the movie is a masterpiece. But this one was special, again, as Greg said, because it had the Mets. The first shot of the movie, Fred the limo driver pulls up and he has a Met cap on the dashboard of his limo. And soon Jax, the assistant, J-A-X, and Fred are discussing the Strike Zone Weekly article, which is Diego Vasquez, whether or not the Mets should sign him. And Jax is all excited and says he's the greatest pitcher in baseball history. And Fred is concerned because of what happened in the World Series and says the Mets are a team that cares about tradition and loyalty. So he's skeptical. Well, you pretty much know what's going to happen from there. And it all ends with a chased kiss. Well, we've just spoiled the entire thing now. Sorry, folks. But uh, you know, again, the, the delight is in the details in this movie. So if you get a chance to run across it, uh, let me give you the AI dialogue, at least as I see it here. This is this was the big announcement from Strike Zone Weekly, read by Jax, the super fan. It looks like the New York Mets have officially lost their minds as rumors spread that they are signing pitcher non-grata Diego Vasquez. 
The league's top pitcher was dropped last season for freezing on the mound in the ninth inning of Game 7 of the World Series, and Vasquez still won't comment on why. And, uh, you know, again, our friend uh, Fred, the driver, says, I don't know what the Mets are thinking. In our humble baseball opinion, strikes and weekly goes on, this could be Vasquez's last chance at pitching professionally. So, you know, in, in this movie, there are no Long Island Ducks. There are no independent leagues. There are no teams who would willingly bring a guy who was just pitching in the ninth inning of the World Series and maybe have him talk to somebody and get him past whatever was bothering him. But yeah, like Fredo says, a guy that freezes like that is not New York Mets material. We are a team that cares about tradition, loyalty, and that's where I think artificial intelligence uh, you know, got hold of this script. If not, Jeff Wilpon and Brody Van Wagenen, because this smacks of that era of Mets baseball more than anything else. Jax tries to convince Fred he's one of the best pitchers Major League Baseball has ever seen. Vasquez holds the record for most no-hitters in baseball history. And that's exactly what our Mets need, Fredo. I sure hope the Mets know what they're doing because they're betting the entire franchise on Diego Vasquez, according to the driver. And then, as, as Jax reminds him, that's the beauty of baseball. The theatrics, the heart, the soul. I have no idea what that last part means. And for that matter, I don't know why this would be betting the entire franchise on Diego Vasquez. Because we're talking about what? Giving him a chance in spring training, one assumes, because the most recent thing that happened was the World Series. But it's a Hallmark movie. It's done by rote and it's done by Canadians. Not that Canadians don't have baseball. And I don't think they really did a lot of research. I think baseball reference went untouched in the uh, planning and plotting of this script. And uh, let, let's uh, give props to uh, Diego Vasquez's agent, Mark Gold, the Wheeler dealer who gets Hazel Miller, the publicist, involved. Because he has to explain that. We're getting pressure from the GM to make sure you look good. He says that to Diego. The New York Mets club doesn't really trust you yet. The Mets won't make it official until we start to see some good press. Now tell me that doesn't sound like Jeff Wilpon's concern, that he wouldn't want to sign somebody unless, uh, you know, we're going to get a, a nice article in Vanity Fair or something out of it. In, in this case, Hudson and Park, I believe, was the name of the magazine that we have to, you, you can't have the guy who's pitched the most no-hitters in baseball history, on your team, unless you get a softball profile in Hudson and Park magazine, which I assume is given out in the lobbies of your more fancy apartment buildings. So just to, to compress the, the rest of the plot a little bit, just to get us to the rest of the Mets stuff here. Hazel has a great idea. We're going to fly Diego back to Ohio, the small town in Ohio where he's from. Apparently, she'll, yeah, she's from too. What a coincidence, because they went to high school together and they went out for a while. And you don't really need to know more than, than that. But uh, you know, why is this so important? Because as Jax, the diehard fan, says to Hazel, you could change the fate of baseball, the fate of the New York Mets. And as a diehard Mets fan, I can tell you that if we ever want to win, the New York Mets must commit to Diego Vasquez. You must commit to Diego Vasquez. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is a Hallmark movie. As a Mets fan, I was thrilled to see this. And I suspect this is part of the Mets marketing efforts to get the name out there because the film was set in part in New York and it could have just as easily been a Yankee. So I think this was good for the Mets. Not that the movie was so fantastic, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, how could you not enjoy a movie where Hazel says to Jax, when it appears the story for Hudson and Park magazine is off because Diego will not come clean, will not explain why he froze on the mound after we've spent like an hour in Ohio watching him 
be comfortable in his hometown and Hazel and Diego getting back together. Hazel says to Jax, how would you feel if I did the right thing? But that means the New York Mets may never win again. To which Jack says, if it means your happiness, I would literally love nothing more in the world, Hazel. Even over the Mets, even over the Mets, which is hard. So, you know, once you've made that commitment that love and Hallmark are more important than the Mets and pitching, well, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get all of it because we are going to, in fact, come to New York City months later. I say New York City because that's what people in Hallmark movies call it. We see the exterior of City Field from the air. We see a close-up of the logo that's over the, the main entrance. And then we see Diego, you know, for all this time that we've been, been talking about, will he will the, he do the right thing or the thing that the Mets need done? Well, he's apparently a New York Met now because he is now in the press conference room at City Field or on a set somewhere. But it sort of looks like a press conference room at, at City Field. He's wearing his blue Mets cap and his black Mets sweatshirt, which makes me wonder like how long this movie has been in the can, but you never know. You know, you, you have Blackout Fridays, maybe that that's when this was filmed. And uh, hey, guess what? We learned from a reporter, not, oh my God, you, you, you made this comeback. You're the biggest star anywhere, she says, Mr. Vasquez, which is very polite, by the way, after a game. I've never heard any player addressed as Mr., but hey, it's Hallmark. Mr. Vasquez, what a comeback. A no-hitter in your first professional game back. How do you feel? Which, you know what, a lot of you know, Steve Gelbs, Anthony Tacoma, people like that, they don't get to the point the way this reporter did. And uh, Diego says, I feel great. I feel really great. And hey, what else do you need to feel after you've extended your record for most no-hitters in baseball history? Uh, listen, he's thrown so many of them. This would be his ninth, I suppose, if Nolan Ryan exists in this timeline. So maybe he's not going to be that excited. And the fact that he's in a new place, you know what? He kind of kind of came off like Aaron Rodgers at his Jets press conference. Like, what is this guy doing in a Mets uniform? Uh, where did this guy come from exactly? Why am I supposed to care about him? Uh, you know, I'm glad I thought of Aaron Rodgers rather than Justin Verlander, because it means that Justin, I, I have already warmed to Justin Verlander, comparatively speaking. But Justin Verlander is real. Matt Harvey was real. Many of the pictures we talk about on the show are real. Diego Vasquez is a figment of some Hallmark channel, screenwriter's uh, imagination. We support, uh, I believe, the uh, the screen the screenwriters, the TV writers, uh, those who have been striking for a better deal. But I hope that in the settlement, there are no more movies like this, except to say the Mets have really good pitching now. Two thumbs up from Greg and Jeff. And with that, the balcony is closed. One more thing before we go. According to Chartable, we are the number 15 baseball podcast, not just Mets podcast, baseball podcast in Israel. I don't know how that happened. Are you listening in Israel? Let us know because Israel is our number one ranked country. Again, this is a mystery to us. Write to us. Let us know if you're listening in Israel, National League Town at gmail.com. Thanks everywhere and to those in Israel for your support. L'chaim. The Mets finish their three-game series in Cincinnati on Thursday afternoon, then go to Washington for four. Why are these huge games? Well, they're four Mets games, but they're also huge games because I'm going to three of them, and I'll report back on that next week. And then the Mets come home, and the landscape changes. Tampa and then Cleveland. We thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets. Copyright 2023 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.